Hi, this is the Family Business Podcast, the podcast dedicated to helping family businesses thrive. I'm your host, Russ Hayworth, and I work with family businesses to help them to navigate the highs and lows that can come with working with your family. Each week, I will share insights and experiences from my own work and from other advisors from around the world. You will also hear directly from family businesses who have been kind enough to share their own stories. If you want to find out more about the show, just head over to fanbizpodcast.com and you can get in touch with me there and find all our previous episodes. If you're enjoying the show, I'd be very grateful if you'd leave me a review in iTunes. It helps others to find the show and it gives me a warm, fuzzy feeling in my belly. Just head over to fanbizpodcast.com forward slash iTunes and follow the link. Anyway, it's time for this week's show. Enjoy. Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Family Business Podcast. I'm really pleased today to be joined by Daniel Tremarki from KPMG. Now, Daniel's got a fantastic uh, job title. Um, so first and foremost, he's a family business advisor, but he's also the program director for the KPMG Enterprise Global Center of Excellence for Family Business. So you can imagine how big his business cards must be to fit all of that on. So firstly, Daniel, welcome to the show. Great to have you here. Cheers, Russ. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Um, And again, something our audience may have picked up from your accent is um, we are sat in a room in London. Our audience won't know that, but they will have picked up that you have uh, an Australian accent. Um, So perhaps you could give us a little bit of information as to uh, how we're sitting here today and uh, doing the role that you're doing. Yep, no, definitely. And I think with the World Cup on at the moment, it's an interesting time to be an Aussie in London (laughs) and see how it's going. But been in the UK now for three years, um, came across with KPMG after spending seven years in Melbourne, um, where I started, and have just always been in and around the family business space with KPMG. So KPMG Enterprise was set up in a way that was for privately owned, family owned businesses. Um, and the, the good thing about that was it's what I got to do day in, day out. It wasn't off the side of the desk or um, just when we had the spare time. Mm. And so started within a, a tax and accounting background and was able to get a good feel for, for what these families are going through from a, a business sense. Um, and then that's just evolved over the last 10 years and moving across to the UK in 2016, I was able to take on the global role as well. Um, and it's been really focused on that succession and governance side of what these business families are doing. Mm-hmm. And um, as of August, heading over the pond again and, and heading to colder weather and even further away to, to join the practice in Canada and join the team uh, within our Canadian firm. So Fantastic. really looking forward to, to what that holds. Yeah, I'm very jealous. Um, I've never been to Canada, but it is somewhere where I think it's calling me. I need to, need to get over there. So um, I'll be paying you a visit. Um, you mentioned that um, part of your role is looking at governance and succession. And the, the topic of today's show is looking at the three elements of succession. In particular, we're going to be looking at management, leadership, and ownership. And quite often, these phrases are lumped together in a single phrase known as succession planning, which some of our audience may know I've got a little bit of a bugbear with the, the phrase succession planning because of the, the connotations it brings but it's, that's what it's called who am I to change it um, but we're going to be starting to, to look at the different elements that go into that um, starting with uh, management shall we and 
talk about what we mean by management succession, particularly in the context of a family-owned business? Well, I think, and even taking one step further back from that, what you've said there around the succession planning as a title, and I know you talk about continuity planning, and I think that resonates with a lot of people. Um, and I was reflecting on, on one of the recent pieces you did, and it was around succession in the sense of the different people within the system and the roles that they're moving to, but it's actually that ultimate aim of continuity mm-hmm. within the system as a whole. And that was quite interesting. So I don't think you need to, to give up that dream of, of changing the name because <laughs> I think there's a lot of merit in so much of what we do in this is around maintaining that continuity within the system or the family um, and finding that equilibrium between what the family wants and needs um, and what the business wants and needs. Mm. And succession is more just around how you manage the change that sometimes comes from within but then also comes from outside um, and dealing with that at at the three levels that you talked about. Mm. And I think when we're talking about um, management succession, and, and it's important to point out at this stage, when we're talking about these three elements, it can be that there is an individual or individuals within the business that have these simultaneous roles. So mm-hmm. in a leadership role, management role, and an ownership role, but they don't have to be, um, I was about to say suffering from all three. <laughs> That's not the best phrase. Uh, but they don't necessarily have to be performing all three of these roles for it to have an impact on their own um, continuity or succession planning. But if we take the example of somebody who's in a management role within a family-owned business, um, and they are getting to the point where they're looking to to move to uh, retirement or whatever that might look like or an alternative role, where should families start in terms of the management element of that succession planning? So I think from that regard, you're looking at the business and you're looking at the management team. To me, management succession is who's running the business day to day, who's got their finger on the pulse and, and looking at how the business is operating, what it's doing, Um, both in the short and the long term. Um, And from a a generational perspective, often this is the one where, I mean, the nature of of generations is that you've got a 20, 30-year gap between Mm -hmm. generations. In most cases, depending on how those generations have grown over time. And so finding the right time to step away as potentially the senior generation or a time to introduce the next generation is is something that is not going to be a point in time moment. And I think that's a big part of succession is that it is a process um, and it's not one day you can stop coming in and one day we'll start doing something differently. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think figuring out where the roles and responsibilities sit within that is important. And management succession itself, um, because of those multiple hats, is sometimes blurred Mm -hmm. with the role of being the CEO or the managing director, but you're also the chairman of the board. You're also the majority shareholder. Yeah. Um, so when you're making decisions that may be classed as management decisions, um, you're doing so, but with, like you said, those multiple hats. Mm. So for me, focusing on management succession is about actually understanding what's the role that management's playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I was speaking with a family only the other week and they talked about you've got to play the position rather than play the man mm-hmm. um, when you're looking at succession because no two yeah. people will fill the same role yeah, the like same that. way. Yeah. 
And I think it, as well, it's having the discipline. If you have got um, simultaneous roles, you, you, you're sort of performing multiple functions within the business. It's having the discipline and the, the right forums in order to discuss the right topics of conversation, isn't it? it you can't have a, a single conversation that covers the ownership, leadership and management elements of something if you're covering all of those roles. It's, it's sensible to break those down into their constituent parts. Would you agree? Yeah, very much so. I think you have to understand where what is the situation that you're looking to address and and the reason for separating out the three different elements of succession is that they won't happen simultaneously mm. um, either because the business doesn't want or need it or the family doesn't want or need it or yeah. is ready for it and so breaking that down and saying okay if we're looking at it from a management perspective let's look at the management team that we have in place, recognising the family and the non-family team that exists. Um, there's always going to be a, a look towards the next generation to see who's there, who's potentially available. Um, and you're assessing them, I think, often in three ways. You're looking at the capability within that group. Mm -hmm. um, you're looking at the ability of that group. Um, and you're looking at the willingness to even want that. And people might say, well, capability versus ability what's what's the difference mm. but for me capability is the technical competency and i suppose the the know-how to to perform the role mm -hmm. ability could be just if you're looking to replace someone who's based in x country but they live in y country gotcha. they don't have the ability to perform that they may have the capability yeah. but others might say it's because they don't have the time pressure they've got a young family or they've got other hobbies, interests, mm. that ability factor needs to be considered separate to capability. Um, and That's then a very valid point as well, isn't it? Because as businesses and families get larger, they become more dispersed. And mm -hmm. so traditionally, the kind of passing from one generation to another becomes more difficult as the families grow larger anyway. Yeah, no, definitely. <clears throat> and I think that taking that into consideration has to be upfront. Um, and that follows the last one, which is the willingness, mm. is sometimes just asking, do they really want to do this? Mm. Um, and management succession is probably where we're seeing, where I've seen the most kind of demographical shift, where we're seeing a lot of families tackling succession in a way where the next generation may well be the future owners of this business. They may well even be the future board members and, and follow that leadership role, but they're not taking on that day-to-day -day management role. Mm -hmm. um, and that opens up a whole other conversation about the role of non-family management, how you integrate that, how you bring that in. And it's a sweeping generalization, but the idea of doing a 30-year apprenticeship under your parents and, and coming in and then one day taking over, I think that's the traditional model that mm -hmm. we've seen in some previous generations. But with how globally-minded people are now, like you said, how disparately... I suppose, moved around the countries they are. Yeah. Um, their highest level of university educated as a generation collectively, a stronger focus on social impact and other aspects. If the opportunity to take on the management role means you've got to move to a, a small country town and manage a factory making widgets mm. um, and that doesn't align with where you are in your age and stage of life, yep. um, it's a very difficult succession plan to try and implement or to yeah. try and understand. I think something else that comes into it as well is um, how specific roles have become as well and the, the technical ability that's needed to do more specific roles compared to 
you know, 30, 40 years ago, you could have a general managing director of a business who'd probably dabble in pretty much every aspect of the business and know yeah. every single bit that's going on. It's becoming much more siloed in terms of specialisms within businesses because of the world we're living in now. Mm-hmm. And so it may be that there are there's not family members that fit within those silos and you have to start looking at either existing non-family um, members of staff to, to step into those roles or the family stepping away from the management side altogether and, and I say just, I'm doing air commas, um, just look at the ownership side of things rather than necessarily having to be involved in the day-to-day side of it. Is that something you're seeing? I think so. I think playing playing the roles is important and, and the way C-suites are expanding and you've got ahead of, like you said, pretty much every function at the moment. Um, you've also got to take into consideration, I suppose, generationally as the business grows, often the previous or the earlier generations have had that learning experience with the business. Mm-hmm. They have grown with the business that potentially they've started or that they've taken from X to Y, whereas the generational change we're at now and the families that we're speaking to, these businesses are well-established, sometimes multinational mm-hmm. businesses that you don't have a learning curve. Um, you don't have the apprenticeship and so the idea of taking on those roles into those management teams without potentially those skills or, or capabilities mm-hmm. um, is, not, is not something that is going to be like for like with what previous generations have gone through. Mm-hmm. So having an appreciation for even at the management level, the fact that the relationship that future generations have with the business will be different to the generations previous mm-hmm. And is with important. each other because if they... Again, if we take the, the generational um, movement from first generation to second, third, fourth and beyond, mm-hmm. first and second generation probably grew up in the same house, second and third around about each other. But when you get beyond third generation, they become much more dispersed and growing up in different towns, cities, countries, <laughs> that has a huge impact on mm-hmm. the, firstly, the pool of talent that the business is able to, to fish in, which is a good thing because it's, it's much more diverse but also because there may be members of the same family who haven't spoken to each other that are looking at going into the same business. What can families do to to help encourage um, the right type of sort of communication relationship development between family members if they are becoming dispersed due to generational shifts? Yeah, I think articulating those, those values and those common interests and that common purpose is important, especially in those generations where they're further removed from the business Mm. and further removed from each other. I'm seeing a lot of families that are really working on um, maintaining the glue, I suppose is the term, but they're looking to say, how do we make sure that some of this tacit knowledge that has existed in generations that may have been quite implicit within certain people within the family is now becoming more explicit? How are we showing the family, what the business means, where it's come from, and then also educating them on what the opportunities are for them to be involved. Mm-hmm. I think in terms of what's the one thing that you can do for, for generations coming forward is just be really deliberate about the experiences that you're trying to create. If you're looking to have them enter the business in a certain way, well, then you need to make sure that the steps that you're putting in place are are supporting that in mm-hmm. the way in which they're provided access to training, to mentoring, to coaching, um, the exposure that they're getting to the business itself. You'll see families that will create apprenticeship programs within their business where you'll spend 
X months in, in different parts oh. of the business just to really get a feel for it. Yep. Um, there's other families that as young as four and five, they're bringing them in for family days mm -hmm. just to show them where mum and dad go to work every day and to start building that continuity, I suppose, of the family legacy and value mm. um, and trying to pass on, I suppose, that purpose or role to give people a chance to, yeah. to, to make that decision if they do want to be a part of it or not and Absolutely. in what capacity. Yeah, and I, I think as well that the, when we're talking about a, a management role, is if the family members have had the benefit of that kind of upbringing and that, that relationship with the business, they will be able to identify where there might be skills gaps when the management level kind of move on mm -hmm. and use that time to plug those gaps so that the business doesn't suffer as a result of the management shift just because it's being done via a family member, for example. It's making giving that person the best opportunity to be the best person at that job by starting it early rather than, you know, I remember working with people who would have uh, literally the, their retirement date circled in red on their calendar yeah. and be crossing the days off. Um, it's not getting three weeks away from that and thinking, right, <laughs> we need to do something about this now. Well, no, I think that's, I think it's spot on in terms of knowing, starting the conversation as early as possible, but being quite clear and quite transparent about what's going on, yeah. what you're trying to achieve and the process that you're looking to undertake because how you support, especially when we talked about the increase in non-family management, retaining staff, so many of, of the studies that we're doing and the research that we're seeing is talking about that war for talent. Mm -hmm. And so maintaining and attracting good people into these businesses um, is a key thing that a lot of families are, are putting as one of their highest priorities and highest challenges and overcoming that through this clarity of making sure they know what they're there to do what role they're what role they're there to play mm -hmm. the the idea of removing the glass ceiling kind of taboo topic of i don't have the right surname so i'll never actually get mm -hmm. ahead here and yeah. those kind of things don't don't need to apply um and also there's there's instances where again because of the demographics of families Sometimes you do have that, that gap period, like you said, where if people know that their role is almost to, to placeholder that CEO position and wait to hopefully one of the next gen can take over, well, I think as long as everyone's aware of that, it's, mm -hmm. it's not a bad strategy. It's yep. not, there is no right or wrong. And I think the one caveat we all know with working with family businesses is there is no best practice mm -hmm. and there is no one size fits all. Yep. But whatever the model chosen is, having clear, I suppose, clear vision and clear communication around what's being planned mm -hmm. and how it's going to play out gives everyone the biggest chance to buy into that yeah. um, and play their role. Mm. And that's vital. The buy-in on that is vital because it's, it shouldn't be dictated. It should be something that is, you know, everybody wants to get involved in rather than going, oh, God, I've got to go and do this now and yeah. that kind of approach to it. Well, if you've got that sense of, duty or those kind of golden handcuffs to mm -hmm. say this is um i'm here but do i really want to be here well yeah. it's the right thing to do um it's a very hard life to live i think long term yeah. if you genuinely don't believe or buy into to what's going on which is why whenever i suppose we're working with families you're you're co-creating what what the outcomes are mm -hmm. and ultimately we're there to provide process and framework and outside perspective but 
the solution comes from the family. Completely. And if it can come cross-generationally, you've got a much better chance than here's the document, play your role, read the script, so, and, yeah. <laughs> and, and off you go. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so mo moving on to leadership, let's assume we've got the, the management side is, is covered and we've, we've identified the gaps and we've got a plan in, in order to, to plug those gaps and, and everyone's on board with that. And we're now looking at leadership su succession. H how is this distinct from management? So I suppose encapsulating leadership, you're looking really at board level. You're looking at someone who's playing that role of overseeing and monitoring those that are in management and those that are tasked with day-to-day. -day. So this is the relationship with the business where you're not making those immediate decisions, but you're providing that oversight. And I mean, any board that exists often from a business perspective is looking at strategy, risk, and succession. Mm -hmm. And so they're tasked with often managing the succession process within the management team um, and often self-assessing their own succession plans as a board. Mm -hmm. um, but really that board level governance for me um, is where you're looking at, well, who's setting the direction of this business? Mm -hmm. Who's setting the strategy? Who's providing that oversight? Um, and do we have the right people at that table? Mm -hmm. And at what stage do different family members generationally want to be involved or step away mm. um, and I mean we'll, we'll touch on ownership succession I suppose to at the end but from a, a leadership succession point of view this is often that port of call to say if I'm retiring for one of a better term because I don't know whether the word retirement actually <laughs> works in the, yeah, in the business <laughs> family sense but um, it's less about what they're retiring from and what they're retiring to mm. um, and that can be even the idea of going from CEO to chairman. And, and so you're looking at management succession out and you're looking at leadership succession changing in the sense of mm. um, coming onto the board. And then you, you fast forward that and you say, well, then what's next post that? Mm. And how do you manage that process? But the idea of just saying we're going to work on succession, like you said, um, is a very all-encompassing yeah. term. And I think, I mean... I think that's a given. I think if you if you didn't work in the world of tax and someone wanted to talk about tax, they say tax. They don't talk yeah. about corporate tax, individual tax, yeah. VAT, um, transfer pricing. They don't talk about all the subcomponents yeah. of that, which is why I think succession does get branded in its entirety. Mm. But it's when you dig deeper, you see that these things are independent processes that need to be aligned and in sync mm. um, as any kind of generational change needs to be. You need mm. both generations ready to move at the same time or at least be willing to move. Yeah. Um, but I think that's at that board level, um, it's often the first step away from the day-to-day -day management mm -hmm. and it's looking at, well, what does the business need at that level? Yeah, and I don't think we can underestimate the importance of the role of the board in leadership because it's it's effectively giving direction and as you say strategy to everybody else within the business the management team who then give it to the people who are in in their command and mm -hmm. it, it's almost the, the kind of the energy behind steering the business where it needs to to go and I've had mixed experiences with boards where sometimes a board are there to, to look back 
and to go, yeah. this is what has happened, rather than actually look forward at what should be happening. And I think that's the difference between a board that has good leadership and, and strong governance is some that looks forward, as you say, at the right areas of strategy and, and risk and succession, mm -hmm. as opposed to someone who's just sat there looking back. Um, and again, it can be important in terms of making sure you have the right people on your board to make sure they're doing the right things and challenging you. They're not there just to say yes, are they? Yes. Yeah, no, I think that's, um, I think you have to look at the board as well in the sense of often being in a family business sense, the conduit between the family and the business. Mm. Often you'll see, um, and, and we say boards and, and some obviously different countries will have different board structures. Some have the unilateral style, others will have a, a management board and a supervisory board. All these things are just different vehicles, I suppose, for, for serving that purpose that we're trying to define. Um, but in terms of the family business dynamic and the two systems, coexisting and, and co-mingling, often the idea of, of non-executive directors who are potentially family members but outside the business and mm -hmm. they are the conduit back to the family or back to the shareholder base. Yeah. Um, but you've also got then obviously your management team sitting on that board or the CEO and the CFO, for example, who can be family, might not be family, mm -hmm. but you're playing a very important role in, in that like you said, looking forward, looking to understand, well, what is the direction of this business? Is is this business fulfilling the wishes of the shareholder base, mm. of the ownership base, who yeah. have deployed their capital into this and expected a return, mm. be it a financial and a non-financial return? So they're really tasked with keeping management accountable, I suppose, mm. for driving that plan yeah. to give the family their definition of success, whatever mm. that may be. And that can be quite, um, well, it can be empowering for a management team in the first instance, but also in terms of having that vision, that, that plan that everybody's striving towards and getting that buy-in to mm -hmm. creates the kind of atmosphere where we're talking about retention for staff. If it is somewhere that doesn't have that strong sense of direction, that strong purpose, they're going to struggle to retain staff because they're coming in and becoming frustrated and having to leave again. And so it it all adds to effectively being a good, strong, driven business, doesn't it? Yeah. I think in terms of setting that direction and setting the, the tone at the top um, and keeping people accountable in pursuit of, of that true north or that direction that you're going for, mm. that's that's the role. And how succession plays a part at the board level is really about making sure that the continuity back to your point is there mm. if you know that you've got the right mix of people there well that's great but there's a few facts of life that say that that isn't going to happen forever <laughs> yeah. so how quickly can we get ahead of that and understand well what are the skills that we need what level of interaction do we need from the family on this how do we want to maintain that relationship mm. and how do we want to also maintain the health and well-being of the business mm. um, and ensure that the management team is accountable but also supported yeah. um, and structured accordingly so mm. no i think that all makes sense brilliant and so moving on to ownership succession and what this means uh, i guess particularly it's called the family business podcast so what it means for family-owned um, businesses it, it's Ownership's a very strange thing because owning shares in a business is like if you were to explain to an alien who's landed on a planet 
how owning shares in a business works. They'd be like, what? Whereas we, we uh, um, attach so much emotional value to it uh, on top of the financial rewards that can come from it. But it can almost be that's the hardest element to let go of is the these are mine, this is my business. And, and I think we see that in as part of continuity or succession planning as a big challenge. It, again, is that something you come across in your work? I think so. I think the emotional aspect, and again, you referenced in, in one of your other videos that the talk about the emotional, the technical, and the financial aspects of this. And mm. I think ownership is where that comes to light the most when we look at tax planning and we look at making sure that we're we're passing on this wealth in the most tax effective way possible or in the most practical or legal way possible. Mm. But what does that mean emotionally for those either giving up those shares or, or receiving those shares? Um, and I think the, the concept of, of being a shareholder, you've definitely got to appreciate the nuance of if, if I'm the shareholder of a public company, mm -hmm. um, one of the big banks or um, one of the big supermarkets that, that are listed, it's a purely financial relationship. I'm there expecting a dividend return uh -huh. um, and some capital growth. Um, I don't want to be a, a bank teller on the weekends. I don't want to stock the shelves <laughs> or choose what products we sell yeah. or what our logo looks like or who we, where we open our next branch. Uh -huh. um, it's a financial relationship. Yeah. And um, if it doesn't work out, you sell the shares. Exactly. Um, and there's a, there's a fluid market for it. There's a liquid market that yeah. you, can, you can do that on. Whereas the nuance of being an owner within a family business is, A, it's a, a financial and an emotional or mm -hmm. socio-emotional relationship. Mm -hmm. um, and B, there is so much more of an interconnected dependence on it, whether it's status in the community and this applies at the leadership and the management level as mm -hmm. well but your reputation and your legacy if so much of that is tied to your position within that business or as a shareholder of that business simply saying oh the most tax effective thing for you to do now is, is sell your shares yeah um is just irrational mm. um but it's quite common unfortunately yeah. so i think appreciating the role of the owner um, is important and like you said maybe sometimes compartmentalizing that versus their role on the board their role within the management team their role within the business at all yeah. um, is important and then it's about I suppose understanding that ownership comes with a level of responsibility that I think people may not have appreciated before mm. there is a lot of work being done now around how to be responsible owners mm -hmm. um, and stewards of these businesses um, it opens up a whole nother discussion about how you value the shares yeah. how do you how do you pass on something that you received for free yeah. um, or that you inherited mm -hmm. um, and that's not always the case there are examples where people are paying market value and they're mm -hmm. looking at saying well actually no you can have these shares but you buy them off me yeah. or if not you have them when I when I pass or, mm. or how this there's Again, a multiple ways of doing it. Yeah. Um, I think as well, one of the things we're, we're seeing is as people are living longer, the point at which people do inherit is becoming later in life. And it might be actually they're inheriting ownership at a point they've already moved beyond their management and possibly even leadership roles on, on the board. Yeah. And then finally they're getting their hands on <laughs> the ownership of this and being told actually it's really efficient for you to sell these or gift these or pass these down. And... and it's 
against the logic of that um, advice, the emotion that's there is kind of, well, no, these are my, I've, I've waited 70 years to get yeah. these. And, and again, I think that's something that's going to be um, extended, particularly if you look at the, from a demographic perspective, if people are having children later as well, the point at which succession or, or um, in any of these elements can happen might be later in life for the next generation than it was for the generation before. And managing those expectations can be really tricky because, you know, if you're waiting to your 50s or 60s to get into this leadership or management role, it can be, it's a frustrating wait. Yeah, no, I think to bookend the, the fact that people potentially are having kids later, you also then look at the other end and you say, well, the 100-year life is becoming more and more of a reality now. Mm. People are living longer. Um, and what that means is you've got potentially three generations active in a business. Um, and to have three generations active, it, it throws the traditional succession models out of whack. And mm. you talk about the inconvenient generation or the um, Prince Charles syndrome sometimes yeah. and taking the, the nature of their succession plan out of out of the out of the plan looking at that third generation who are watching their parents wait like you said yeah. their entire lifetime to eventually get the keys to the castle yeah um is really going to change the way that next next generation mm. look at the business and how they interact with it and i think the other thing it picks up on is that these leadership or management leadership and ownership successions will happen in different times mm. and you can't and how someone chooses to define their relationship based on even if I'm the CEO or even if I'm the chairman if I don't own it is it really mine or what am I doing yeah. um, creates again a huge discussion and it also brings into the idea of how do you reward these different roles mm. because you might well have a, a dividend policy that is working well and has been well defined and is fine. But at the same time, if you don't have a, a structured remuneration policy and you've got someone who is not a shareholder, but they are one of the key employees um, and they're in a, a situation where their salary is not commensurate or it's perceived to be not commensurate yeah. is sometimes even more so. Mm. Um, you're in a very delicate situation yeah, between absolutely. maintaining that family harmony but also maintaining the the business going forward and the mm. different roles that are there to be played so ownership succession i think will be something that is usually last of the three mm -hmm. um just as a general rule but it's not um it's not something that can be taken lightly mm -hmm. so absolutely and i think the important thing to to point out when we're talking about these three elements is there are structures, there are processes, there are things that people can do to make all of these three transitions easier. Mm -hmm. um, we're fortunate enough it's what we do, um, but it's also, it comes back to what you were saying earlier about the fact that everything is lumped together in this single phrase, but actually they are different constituent parts that will happen at different times. And we should be encouraged by that because it means that you're not having to tackle this huge succession thing that's stood in front of you. You can break it down and go, actually, we need to deal with the management element. Mm -hmm. We need to deal with the leadership element. And then at some stage, we're going to have to deal with the ownership element. But let's tackle those in order and make sure that we're, we're doing it as a, an aligned project rather than, as you say, with the example of tax, 
when you go and say, right, we need to do some tax, that can be quite intimidating. Yeah. And when you say, right, we need to do some succession planning, it's like, right, that can be quite intimidating. So you, the natural inclination is to kick that can down the road yeah. and not deal with it. Whereas if you break it down as we've done, that's a, one way of tackling it in a, in a more um, bite-sized way. Yeah, no, exactly. You can't eat, trying to eat the elephant in one bite. Yeah. It doesn't it doesn't work. Mm. Um, and so, so much of what we see is breaking down those elements but providing process and providing framework to help people take what sometimes can be very sensitive issues and very emotional issues mm-hmm. um, and look at them in a different light. You can't ignore the emotional aspect of it because then you get to the other side of building solutions that are tax efficient but unaligned uh, or misaligned to the family's purpose. Mm. Um, But having broken them down and addressing them, not in isolation, but addressing them in a constructive and broken down way Mm. gives you, um, I suppose, a chance to to think about it in, in the sense of, I mean, we try and measure things actually against four real beacons or four ways of assessing it. So if, if, if I've got a family that's going through this process, my, my four questions to them once we've looked at what the solution may be um, is, is, is this right for you? Personally, can you make peace with this? Does this align to your personal goals, ambitions, where you're at in life? Mm-hmm. Then does it align to the family as a whole? Does this fit for the family at large in terms of your greater shared purpose in terms of your sense of belonging and your sense of purpose within the family Mm -hmm. then is it right for the business these are i mean the nature of a family business is that codependency i i have a family and i have a business or a job but they're not connected Mm -hmm. so i don't need to consider often the implications of one to the other to the same degree but in this case is this right for the business whilst having joint CEOs um, might be what the three brothers want, mm-hmm. is that actually going to impact the business in a positive way or a negative way? Yep. So assess it against the business. And then the last one is kind of, is it feasible in the real world? Mm-hmm. Does this actually make sense? Are we looking at something once we take all the external factors that are in and around, um, is this solution optimal? Will this actually work? Is this good enough? Mm. So... I think assessing it against yourself individually, against the family as a whole, against the business, um, and then against the real world um, gives you a chance to actually say, do I buy into this? And it's back to one of your earlier points. You can't thrust upon people, this is what's happening. We hope you like it. Um, (laughs) Tough if you don't. (laughs) Exactly. Um, It's actually about, well, this is what we've helped Build. This is what you've helped build. Mm. Using those th- four benchmarks, does this cut the mustard? Mm. Um, and if it does, well, then you've you've got somewhere to take it. Yeah. And communicating about it is so important as well. And it it's an obvious statement to say that communicate communicating about it is the thing to do. But it's perhaps not surprising how many times we come across occasions where it's just not being discussed. Mm-hmm. It's it's not something that's on the agenda. It's not something because it's it's this big elephant of a um, subject matter. But just but do, in your view, is that something that should be driven from board level? That they should be going. Actually, you need to be talking about the management succession, and you need to be talking about leadership succession. And we can worry about ownership another time. Or 
should who, who should that be driven by? I think in terms of who can start the conversation at any level, um, really it can come from within the business. It can come from within the boardroom. It can even come sometimes it's, it's the role of the outsider, of the advisor to say, have you seen what's potentially coming up over the hill? Have you thought ahead to some of these issues? Because we know that there's certain stages of a family life cycle that will trigger things. We know that there's certain things, um, stages of a business life cycle that are going to trigger the need for change. So having that awareness to bring it up um, can fall, I think, to anyone. The one caveat to that is that those who are in the possession of the power um, need to be on board and need to be willing to change. So as long as those that have the current control um, have a willingness to change or a willingness to at least discuss the change, um, you're in with a fighting chance Mm -hmm. because they are the ones that will then usually have the most change affected upon them. Um, And so that's, and it comes back to like what you said earlier, it's about buying into the process Mm. rather than being sold something. Yeah. Um, Because then even if one of the outcomes of that you don't quite agree with, you can understand why it happened. And if you can understand why it happened, you don't have to then like it but more often than not, you'll be willing to accept it. Mm. Um, And that's a big part of this because change is never going to be perfect for everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is, I think, a a story or a a conversation for another day around the impact this has more so on the senior generation than it does on the next generation from a succession point of view because the next generation often are going into roles that have been relatively well-defined or have at least existed. Mm. Um, What we're seeing in the senior generation is that concept of not what am I, again, retiring from, but what am I retiring to Um, and defining that role Mm. and defining that purpose in line with everything that you talked about around their emotional implications, their attachments to their previous roles, either in management, in leadership or in ownership Mm. have to be considered. Yeah. And I think that's the the overall um, sort of takeaway message from today, I guess, is is understanding the perspective that everybody's coming from, understanding the um, the emotional element that can can be involved and the different time frames that that it would um, incorporate as well, and to break it down into those constituent parts rather than just think right agenda item succession planning yeah. where do we start? Um, breaking it down is, is going to help massively. Um, if you had a single tip that you could pass on to a family business, it doesn't necessarily have to be around this area, but what would it be? Oh, it's a good one. There's always, always a few to draw on, but I think for me, that concept of being deliberate, be deliberate about what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And, and being deliberate means having structure behind it, having process behind it, not burdensome red tape and not um, kind of forms for the sake of forms or process for the sake of process but process can often bring clarity it can bring transparency Um, and when you're dealing with situations of an emotional nature often that transparency creates a level of buy-in so being deliberate about the process that you're undertaking about how you communicate it um, about who you communicate it to um, I think is the key to keeping that conversation going um, and to be able to then make sure that something constructive 
can come of it yeah. and and having a time frame in place i think succession and governance is always one of those topics where you can have an amazing conversation for a couple of hours as a family and you walk away going that was really interesting mm. um but you don't act on it yeah, now and what? so yeah. i think giving yourselves time frames and they don't have to be days weeks mm -hmm. months sometimes they can be years um but having some kind of self-accountability to what you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. And again, that's the role of the different elements, I think. The board keeping management accountable, sometimes the shareholders keeping the board accountable and, mm -hmm. and vice versa. It doesn't have to flow in a linear fashion. Yeah. But yeah, be deliberate and have a sense of time frame. Mm -hmm. Fantastic, that's a brilliant tip. And finally, how can our audience find out more about you and the work that you're doing? So I suppose LinkedIn, like everything else, is probably the best place to catch me and uh -huh. um, always around. And, and obviously come August, if anyone's in, in Toronto or in the Canada region, uh -huh. I'll be around and FFI conferences and, and those kind. I, it's really, I think, a big part of this is, is the community that we're a part of and that we get to keep both with the families we work with and the other advisors we work with. So yeah. I'm more than happy to to keep in touch with anyone. Fantastic. And finally, um, for me, very good luck in Canada. Um, I'm sure we'll keep in touch and uh, speak again soon. No, definitely. Thank you again for having me. No worries. Cheers. Cheers. I hope you found this episode useful. If you have, then why not share it with your family and see what they think? I work with families just like yours to help them to better understand the complexities that can come with being a family in business. So whether you're just starting out or heading into the umpteenth generation, if you feel that I could help, check out fanbizpodcast.com forward slash work with Russ and get in touch. Until next time, take care.